Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Wood Talk, crafting artisanal sawdust since 2007. Now here are your hosts, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, welcome to Wood Talk. It's show number 473 for June 10th, 2020. On today's show, we're talking about joinery. We're going to kind of talk about like what to use and when. At least that's what we're, we're going to try. We're going to do our best. Uh, before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com to check out their summer savings sale, which includes all the tools and accessories you need for your shop. Sale runs from May 29th to July 2nd, so don't miss it. And for those of you in the piss Pittsburgh, <laughs> that's not the way I wanted to say that word. <laughs> Whoa. All right. For those of you in the Pittsburgh area, Rockler's new location is in the what, Robinson Town Century. Why do they? Why do they? Why do they spell center that way? R E. It's. It's Isn't that a little weird. More elegant. Is it quaint? Like when you go to the, to a shoppy. That's S S H O P P E. Uh, anyway, so this is the new store in Robinson Town Center. It is now open, and as they say, yins can stop by and check it out. As they say in Pittsburgh, John Malucky did it better. Yeah, well, he does it all the time. Is it's one of those things where like. I feel like I should tell people, use guys, you know, or do something that lets people know I was born in New Jersey. <laughs> like, you have to say it every time, otherwise... Like, don't people just know that by now? Uh, but you gotta remind people when, when there's, like, a certain thing like that. You just gotta say it all the time. a distinct Jersey look and? about you. I don't think you have to say anything. <laughs> okay, that... <laughs> my stupid face <laughs> is enough. I know what it is. <laughs> I got it. Have you seen my stupid face? That's all you need. <laughs> All right, time for Matt's Patreon message. Cue the fireworks show. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. This week, we'd like to thank Corey Reed, Jared, Chris from Cowdog, Stephen Clement, and PK Too Tight. Too Tight. Too Tight. 
We even talked about this name before, and that wasn't one of the pronunciations we came up with. Good job. That was the whole, that was the whole point, too, right? Too tight. <laughs> I know what I'm doing over here. <laughs> You're a pro, man. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to start today's show with a little bit of kickback. And this is in response to the automotive finish discussion we had, where we basically talked about stuff we ha- we know nothing about. Well, kind of like every Wood Talk show, really. Basically everything ever done. Yeah. So this yeah. one specifically is on the automotive finish uh, finishes. It's really long. We're going to split it up. Each of us is going to read a little chunk of it, but I think it's good. A lot of science, a lot of techno babble in here, but I think it's, it's cool information. Uh, so this is from Ian. He says in your most recent show, lacquer, I hardly know her. Uh, someone wrote in asking about automotive finishes and if they could be used on wood. I thought I'd write in to share a few details. For background, I am a PhD materials chemist that works at one of the largest vehicle paint manufacturers. And he goes on to say, it's hard to know where to start because coating technologies are so complex. A general answer is that no, I don't think typical OEM automotive clear coats would be able to be used on wood, mainly because typical curing for an automotive clear coat is around 120 to 160 Celsius for about a half hour due to using melamine cross-linking chemistry. And Shannon could shed more light on this, but I don't think that the temperature that high would be good for the wood. However, when you look at the refinish segment, vehicle paint repairs, and the commercial segment, he's talking about the semis, trailers, trains, buses, etc., the chemistry would be more applicable for use on wood since they can be cured even at room temperature. The most common chemistry used for clear coats in these seg- uh, these market segments is 2K polyurethane. It's very different from a typical can of urethane wood finish uh, where the isocyanate is used to cross-link the resin. These coatings can be optimized for use on top of base coats, the colored paint layer. So while they could be used on wood as is, they would likely need optimization to have ideal performance on wood. Wow. So reference was made to coating hardness and the ability to buff to a high gloss. Depending on the intended application, these coatings can be made high hardness or more flexible or visio viscoelastic. Ooh, that's a Scrabble winner right there. <laughs> Mainly by changing the monomers and cross-link density. You'd want a reasonably hard finish to be able to buff it to a high gloss. As far as application methods, these coatings are intended to be applied by either a hand spray gun or bell sprayed by a robot. Now, who doesn't want that? Seriously. I do. Wow. <laughs> like screw, screw hand tools. I need a robot to apply my finish. That's just awesome. <laughs> These 2K polyurethanes are perfectly safe to spray as long as your head and body are completely covered with a Tyvek suit and you're wearing a respirator with P100 organic vapor cartridges. Joking aside, <laughs> isocyanates are quite nasty and should be handled by, shouldn't, should not be handled by anyone not specifically trained. I should add that once they're fully cured, there is no longer any isocyanate present and the coatings are completely safe. Now, Mark also mentioned the UV stability of automotive coatings. With modern technology, it's actually quite easy. I love this. It's quite easy to make a coating that lasts for many years. UV stable coatings typically use a combination of UV absorbers, radical scavengers to quince radicals from which uh, which cause UV degradation, and inherent stability of the resin and other components in the coating. See, it's quite easy, guys quite easy all you need it's so you know, all you need is easy. uv absorbers radical scavengers <laughs> <laughs> i think that was uh matt's name in college radical wasn't scavenger. it your nickname radical yeah. scavenger <laughs> works for me man i like that so this inherent uv stability is achieved by selecting materials that either don't absorb much uv for resins this typically means um aliphatics 
or that have mechanisms for shedding the absorbed UV energy as heat instead of by fragmenting themselves or doing redox chemistry on components around them. Now that's kind of cool. So they're converting yeah. the UV into just an exothermic reaction. That's awesome. And it keeps your toes warm. So, sure. so that's like a whole feature. <laughs> Build a rocking chair that also keeps your butt warm. That's awesome. <laughs> Integrated butt warmer. It's like a real car. <laughs> uh, one last thing I'll mention. Shannon thought that automotive coatings were faster building. In the coating industry, we refer to that as high solids. How are coatings compared to wood coatings? In this regard, I couldn't say, but for decades there has been a strive towards higher solid coatings. Uh, this is one of the reasons that the coating industries has shifted from old lacquers to cross-linked coatings. With cross-linked coatings, we have we can use much smaller resin fragments with lower viscosities, and therefore we can achieve higher solids coatings. Higher solid coatings. Yeah, solid. Oh, man, this tongue twister. <laughs> Which still have variable, oh man, logical properties that I have like off like on the side of my monitor. So like that word is literally like <laughs> 24 inches from my eyes. Okay. <laughs> and it's got the tiny font. Anyway, rheological properties to allow for the flow necessary for good atomization, spraying and leveling, forming a pre-film. So this is kind of interesting, like timing wise, because I just painted my trailer with a 2K polyurethane. Oh, there you go. Coat. And uh, guess who had donated his P100 organic vapor cartridge uh -huh. to uh, you know, <laughs> people who needed it more than me. That's right. He doesn't have a Tyvek suit. So, so you're out there with yes. a, a Nicole Spagnola special mask with dicks on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cloth. I, Cloth is I fine. Had, um, I had uh, just a regular uh, dust filter, whatever. It's a P100, but it's not organic. Right. But you, uh, were, you were outside, though. So at least you I was. I was outside. Trapped somewhere. I do have red speckling literally all over my body and my hair is like crusty still. <laughs> you might want to wash it. <laughs> it's going to be good for you. You're, you're fine. <laughs> Matt's fine. Everyone don't worry about it. He's okay. Oh, I'm fine. It's just funny. So I'm like, Oh, I was reading. I was listening. Really. I'm like, Oh crap. Yeah. It is. Yeah. That's the stuff That's I cool. just did. It's it's really interesting for me to actually hear like the, the uh, chemistry behind it. Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously this was deep level chemistry stuff, but I thought, you know, for the average person to hear, um, but I really thought it was interesting, especially since we did kind of ask yeah. for this. I, I started reading it going, oh, we're not going to read this on the show, but I'm like, this is what we asked for. <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted to hear. So we had to read it. So oh, this is good. I, I liked that. Personally, I enjoyed it. Agreed. Yeah. That's all you need. I do. Matt's happy. <laughs> that's right. The show can go on. Well, I think to me, the most compelling thing was the UV discussion because it's like, well, okay, we've, this is, it's almost like it's old news. We figured this out on yeah. cars, but we still have this problem in wood finishing. It's still a major problem. Like, why why can't we adapt? Maybe it's just too expensive or, uh, you know, the underlying material, it's not going to work that well. Um, but why aren't we able to adapt some of this, you know, what is now like common knowledge, <laughs> UV, uh, whatever it is, the, the the filtering that it's doing and the conversion to heat. I, you I know. wonder on that, that cost thing, because like the the 2K polyurethane used from my trailer, I don't know like what the average industry like averages for a gallon of paint, but that was $220 a yeah. gallon. Oh, so, okay. So there's that cost thing just to kind of throw some costs in the air. It's like, I don't know if that's actually applicable to what it would translate to for wood finishing, right. but yeah, you know, when's the last time you picked up a court, a court can for a hundred bucks? Cause it's probably what it would cost for a court. Um, what about <laughs> Rubio? Yeah, right. <laughs> <Like that? laughs> 
Well, they're okay. So maybe it's not that, that big of an ad. But people do complain about it, and you'd probably go through a lot more of it. Rubio is is justifiable because you're going to use like a teeny tiny amount per project, but you're throwing this thing into an HVLP gun. You're going to use a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're going through well, it. I think at, uh, at that's its good core, stuff. you've got a, a finishing industry designed for a product that has only gone up in price over the years. I mean, cars have just gotten more expensive, mm-hmm. and then you've got wood finishing for products that have continued to go down in price. You know, I mean, it, furniture back in Stickley's day, I'll actually, you know, fast forward through inflation and then look at Ikea furniture. It's like dirt cheap, you know, and that's kind of the norm yeah. in the furniture industry. So I just don't think anybody's like, well, we couldn't afford it anyway. You know, yeah, we know how to do it. But, you know, yeah. are you going to buy the piece of furniture that's $400 more because of the UV finish alone? Probably not. Yeah, you can't just oh. let that can't just absorb that into the price. Maybe. Well, yeah, there's Maybe. always going to be market somewhere, yeah. you know, you can. Actually, now, now that I'm thinking about it, like, re, you know, pay a $400 up front or never have to, you know, never have to worry about refinishing again. Sounds pretty good to me. Sure. You know, that's like a couple of days of sanding and reapplying finish for 400 bucks. I think it's a, that's a fair trade. Yeah. If that happens to be the number. Okay. You heard it here, folks. I don't know. This I, is interesting. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's get into our main topic today. We're going to talk about joinery and we've got some questions that we got from our uh, uh, folks who helped us out over at Patreon and we got some, let's see who we got. Nick, this is good. I like this. To start everything off here, we're talking about joinery. We're talking about the whens, the whys. Nick says two words, pocket screws, go. One word, one word, word. plywood. (laughs) Ah! Mm -hmm. This is getting complicated. (laughs) I can can do that (laughs) that in one word. Plywood. Uh, okay. So this could get this could get a little bit tricky um in how we approach this. This is not meant to be, you know, a, a complete joinery book read aloud. Um we're just gonna kinda <laughs> address it as we go and see if we can't come up with the reasons why we use certain joints in certain um places or certain types of furniture. Judy Grass uh, left a question. She says, for someone just starting to design their own furniture rather than working off of someone else's plans, how do you determine which type of joint to use? What joints can you, oh, and this is me adding to that question. What joints can you expect to use on certain types of furniture? And I think it's kind of a good way to look at it. So let, let's start with something like a large table. And we've uh, talked about these, you know, ad nauseum in the past, different types of joints. The most common thing you're going to confront in a large format table is a classic mortise and tenon joint. And by the way, I should have mentioned the next three shows, I guess if you can include this one, we will be talking about joinery. And after today's show, the next two, we're going to dive pretty deep into mortise and tenons and then into dovetails. So this is more of a general uh, discussion. Woo. Pretty good. Pretty good. You have a voice of an angel. Anyone ever tell oh, you that? Angel. Yeah, you. Right <laughs> <laughs> For the first time ever. <laughs> Okay, oh, so let's get Praise back. on one side and then like <laughs> thinly veiled daggers on the other. <laughs> Matt and the Radical Scavengers, live, one night only. That's right. Oh, I love that band. That is my favorite band. They actually sing the Lumber Update song. Oh, so. yeah, that's who did that. Okay, so this is how I usually start with these things. I, I see a large table and I immediately think of, here's the standard stuff. Now, I might do something different. I might come up with a different solution. Uh, but ultimately that's my starting point. So I'm thinking of a big table and we're just talking about, uh, you know, standard aprons, legs, tabletop, and I'm thinking mortise and tenon all the way is the first thing I'm going to think about. Could there be alternative options? Yeah, you might come up with something, but it's, it's like the furniture itself kind of dictates 
that starting little, you know, selection of options that you have for joinery, right? So let's say if you go from a large table to a bookcase, now everything changes, right? Because now the material is a little bit different. You might be using plywood potentially and your joinery options, um, you know, change fairly dramatically. There aren't that many bookshelf designs or bookcase designs that are going to employ mortise and tenons. I mean, you could, but you would have to work really hard to design something that makes that make sense. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, so let's, so who wants to go with the, over the bookcase? If you're doing a bookcase, what are the joints that immediately jump out to you? Dovetails. Yeah. That's the obvious one. I think the corner joint, but I mean, just rabbits, rabbits and dados is yeah. pretty common. Now you would probably have to strengthen the rabbits like at the top corners, you know, with a mechanical fastener of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look into like an arts and crafts model where it was like all mortise and tenon, you can do that. But as you said, you kind of have to change things around because you can't put a mortise on the end of a board because you end up with short grain and it basically just becomes a notch instead right. of a mortise. So, you know, like stickly designs, he would use those long through tenons on like a, a, a rail turned the other direction at the bottom and a shelf kind of sat on the rail. Um, yeah, but at the top, you still can't put a mortise and tenon up there. So no rabbits, dados and dovetails. Yeah. Casework kind of falls into that and pockets uh, category and pockets. Um, Matt, I don't want, I don't want to discount Nick. You know, we just kind of jumped over <laughs> Nick here, but pocket screws, you could use pocket screws there. It, realistically though, pocket screws, just about anything we talk about here. If you wanted to put it together with pocket screws, you probably could. So if we just say that, can we get it out of the way and then not have to go back to it? <laughs> I don't know. It depends on whether or not Craig wants to step up to the plate and sponsor the show. That's a really good point. Do we have room? Yeah, we have room. <laughs> Rockler won't mind. <laughs> they sell they they sell Craig products. It'll be fine. There we go. Okay, so Matt, you What's up? you've done some small boxes. How about the small box category? Because now we're talking almost. Oh, that's like small box category. It's like the wild west. Do whatever you want. Yeah, it's like there's there's uh there's hardly any structural concerns really, so you can kind of just have fun with it. So that we'll, is that is it that is it, Mark. Thank that you, sir. Exactly it. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, what uh what what options would you be? Let's say you had a small box project coming up. What are your first things you're going to think about joinery wise? Honestly, when I do small boxes, like what haven't I done in a while, or what do I feel like doing? which is why I like those little boxes because mm-hmm. it gives you the opportunity to, you know, try different things or just do what you do what you really want to do. You know, like <laughs> if I really want to do some pocket screws, cause I haven't done them ever really, then there's, there's a good place to do that. If I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to do some dovetails. I, do them I, there. I, I would debate that, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. You can put a small box together with pocket screws. You got to have thicker material. Yeah. You got to use thicker material and then you've got a small box that's really clunky. And that's well, just, I didn't, we're not talking about design here. We're talking hey, about joinery. Maybe you're not, but you know, <laughs> Shannon is always talking about design. Okay. Yeah. You want to produce Who says I can't stuff? find micro pocket screws. <laughs> that's a good huh? question though. What is the lower limit on pocket screws in terms of material? That's all I've seen, but does it go thinner than that? I, I, I mean, I at a certain point, I think on like commonly available stuff probably, but there's no reason why you can't have or make a pocket hole drilling bit or do it in two steps with the right size screw for that thinner material. If you want to do quarter inch, it'd be a small screw. It'd be like a number four or something, yeah, but, but you can still get enough, it in there. Is it's there enough material? Like I wouldn't think there'd be enough material, even though it's at a low angle and you're putting a longer screw, you know, it's longer than quarter inch. Is there enough material in the, the non pocket hole drilled board to actually hold a screw? 
it's only a quarter inch thick. There's really not much biting power there. And then I'd worry about blowing through the other side. I didn't say it was going to be easy. Pocket holes are not easy. <laughs> I mean, at a Isn't certain that point, why we choose pocket holes to the first point? I mean, <laughs> at a certain point, you're just using brad nails and it really doesn't matter. <laughs> right. So. That is true, but what if I want those pocket holes on the outside for you know visual impact? Yeah, you want to you want to insert those little plugs. Really yeah. want to make a statement, right? You want to use maple <laughs> plugs in your walnut box? Yeah, <laughs> makes my skin crawl. All right, we're you guys. I'm just, I'm just driving home a point that on a little box you can do literally anything. That is the cool thing. Boxes can be an experiment in whatever type of joinery you want. It all depends on how much effort you want to put into it. Well, I think that's kind of one of the themes that happens here. I think the more uh, important the structure is, just because of the function of the piece, the more important it is that you do pick the right joinery. I think the simpler something gets or the, the less weight that's going to be put on it structurally, it's not that important. Then you can kind of open up the playbook and now it becomes a question of style or uh, aesthetics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, so a lot of the things I have on this list, a desk, well, I think a desk is a little bit tricky because sometimes you're looking at a desk that is primarily casework, in which case it falls into that dado rabbit pocket screw category we just talked about, <laughs> but you might also make a desk, you know, think like mid-century modern or something where now we're talking about you all know, miters, all miter joints, right? A little bit less, less is more there. Um, maybe mortise and tenons, depending on how you, uh, construct your base. Um, another classic picture frames, right? That's probably the first thing most woodworkers think about when they think about miters, you think about yeah. picture frames. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you can also have they some fun with that too. They don't have to be miters either. Right. Yeah. You could do half laps. I think picture laps. frames is almost like, kind of similar to the small boxes where it's not a whole lot of load. Yeah. So you can structural strength. There isn't a huge deal sure. as much. Well, you can do all kinds of stuff. Well, I can screw those bad boys together. <laughs> I, I know go. what I'm sending you for Christmas. <laughs> Pocket hole jig? Yeah. <laughs> or just more screws because I'm running low. Micro- I'm on everything. I'm going to send you a, a row of micro screws. It's going to look a lot like a, 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 a stick of brad nails. <laughs> but, stick of brad nails. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to call them micro screws. <laughs> He's going to go to the trouble to break them all apart, though, so they're individual pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a file and grind a little. Uh, oh my god! I'm cutting, I'm cutting the actual threads in it manually yeah. with a file. Yep, that's sounds, it. I, I like sounds it. Sounds like a much. job for Andy Klein. It really does. <laughs> it does. That's good. Um, so what? How about some alternatives for frames? Because I think let's let's expand the frame to a door. You know, so maybe a frame and panel door or something. Uh, a lot of times, commercial frame and panel doors, you're looking at probably like a coping stick bit mm-hmm. being cut. Which, by the way, can I just say, I'm, I'm in the middle of refinishing some cabinets at my mom's, and I really am getting annoyed with commercial, commercially made doors with cope and stick joinery because I've had to repair far too many styles that have broken. Because once, if you've ever looked at how, like, they make that little tenon there, the thickness of the tenon and then the thickness of the style aren't really sized very well. Once you cut a profile into it, the amount of material left on both sides of that, it's a groove, but let's think of it as a mortise. The amount of material left is pretty thin. And then they mm-hmm. put a nice little profile in there. It's an incredibly weak point in a door. And mm-hmm. I've, I've repaired two doors in my house uh, that, that were cut that way. And then now I'm, I've got one gluing up now at her house. And it's not bad. It's not falling apart. But I had to kind of squeeze some glue in there and get, get clamps back on it just to make sure that crack doesn't get worse over time. Um, so 
I'm just that saying, was actually, I, I don't like that it. That was kind of an eye-opening thing for me. Um, <clears throat> when I started going to the, the millwork house that uh, my company bought a while ago, um, and I was surprised to see that they were using loose sticking. It wasn't an integrated cope and stick. Oh, really? And the guy said, yeah, that that's general. When you find the integrated cope and stick, sorry, Mark, no offense, that's generally in cheaper doors or more mass-produced type doors rather than your higher-end custom door. Because the um, because of that reason, the integrated cope and stick is so much more fragile, and it also doesn't give them as much flexibility um, in a custom shop where the door thickness might vary, uh, and the material might vary, the sizes of the rails and the kick plates might vary. They want to actually use um, loose sticking that's put in after the fact, and it allows them to allow for a little bit better wood movement it also allows them to kind of dial in the reveal and everything it's just and i thought oh it's loose sticking that must mean it's a cheaper made door and i've actually come to discover it's exactly the opposite because the integrated stuff for what you exactly said it's kind of crappy yeah when you think about it it's just a door you don't think there's going to be a ton of pressure but i know the ones in my house have broken because i've got two little uh ding-dongs for kids (laughs) that like to hang on them and and doggy and and doggy yeah and then that puts like if they're hanging on a door, if you think about it, it's putting a lot of pressure on the style on the hinge side. Right. Yeah. And and if that is, you know, there's just not that much material there, it won't take much. And those, by the way, those are custom doors. But whoever made them just chose to use a standard, you know, cope and stick bit set. That's that's what they did. And unfortunately, it just makes it fairly weak. So so it, it, even though we're talking about something as simple as a door that normally doesn't have a whole lot of weight pressure or, or things on it, things can happen. Uh, and if you can design it better and you're making it yourself, you could very easily make a door that, that is better than most what's, what's in most people's homes, uh, at this point, just by moving to something like a classic mortise and tenon and forgoing the whole cope and stick concept to begin with. Yeah. That's true of like a lot of the uh, wood products, I guess. Yeah. Like furniture as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Right. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going with that. <laughs> Okay, let's. We're, we're talking about mass production versus like one-off things that's supposed to last forever because you know we're passionate about what we're, what we're making. Well, a lot of times we, we do that, and we possible. A lot of times we're spinning our wheels, deluding ourselves into thinking it, this is so much better. You know, we're doing it because it's so much better. But in a lot of cases, it's like, well, it's a little bit better. You know, maybe hey, you have control I, over I like the final being look. disillusioned. All right. I appreciate that. That's what I like about you. <laughs> but there are certain cases. Yeah. Matt's just been huffing paint fumes. That's <laughs> what it is. We could expect some interesting oh, things from Matt. 2K today. paint fumes. One of these days he's going to upgrade to 4K and then oh. it's going to be, a, you know, <laughs> seeing in colors. <laughs> no one even talks about 8K yet. No. I mean, there's just no, there's just no need for it. Jeez. Just so far off. So many Ks. Uh, all right. What else do we have here? What other types of um, furniture could we talk about? How about drawers? Hmm. What are, what are, what comes to your mind, Shannon, when you're thinking about drawers? See, this is the funny thing is immediately dovetails come to mind, but then I'm like, I'm so tired of making dovetail drawers. Like, I feel like I want to break from dovetails yeah. because it's, it's almost feels like it's overused at this point. And I know it's silly because it's, it really is the perfect joint for that, for a box that goes through a, a lot of stress in its life and opening and closing the dovetail really makes a good, good solution. Yeah. But I just built a, a case and I was like, no, I don't want to do it. So I did <laughs> rabbits and steel pegs. I doing it. And I was like, <laughs> I'm doing something different. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the principle of the matter sometimes, especially especially if it's a drawer that really isn't going to be subject to, you know, tons of abuse where you would justify the mechanical advantage of a dovetail, uh, a simple reinforced rabbit sometimes is plenty. Uh, you don't need to get all nuts with it. Yeah, and I think once you start integrating like mechanical slides, that takes a lot of the, the load off the drawer. Mm-hmm. You know, if the box itself is not sliding along a runner, but it's actually running on like a ball bearing slide or even the fancy slides, like, you know, the soft close slides and everything. I mean, there's there's so little stress put on the box itself. Yeah. You know, it's maybe just the drawer front. Even then. Yes. Yeah. Moving friction is really reduced in that case. What are you guys mm-hmm. feelings? Just we're talking about door frames. What are your feelings on like a half lap? It's fine. Or a, I don't know. Or a, or a door frame? Just any kind of frame. Yeah, maybe you, um, I'm doing a bed right now for my mom. And, it, glue surface. and it's it's got a, a big flat frame that kind of houses the slats, right, for a platform bed. Uh, and I wanted the corners to look just a little bit, you know, interesting. So a miter was, a miter is kind of like the cleanest look if you just mm-hmm. want kind of that seamless thing as you go around. Uh, but it didn't want to do that. I wanted something that actually stood out a little bit. So I'm like, Half laps, like corner half laps are perfect because you get that combination of long grain and end grain on each corner and just gives it a look that's that's kind of hard to produce any other way. Um, but at the same time, I'm like strength wise, <clears throat> I think half laps are one of those underappreciated joints, be- you know, surely just because of the amount of glue surface, face to face glue surface. It's pretty darn strong. Like half a mortise <clears throat> and tenon. Yeah. Or like. Half a bridle joint. Yeah, I mean, you don't... the lazy man's bridle joint. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You've heard it here first. <laughs> I like that. I think getting back to like Judy's original question about like designing furniture not off someone else's plans. I think the biggest thing that I've sort of realized the more things I've made is that when you kind of get into these specific size like styles or like pieces, like the, all the joinery is kind of the same. Yeah, you kind of figure out like, okay, this is made this way with these joints and. Anything else you do to it is just kind of ornamentation or a little bit of a different variation, but a lot of the same stuff applies. Um, the, the interesting contrast is when you look at like, uh, like I don't know, some kind of casework type of thing or like a chest of drawers. Like if you take that in the frame panel style, you're going to be doing all more and tenon. If you're doing a casework style, it's going to be a whole lot of dovetails. Yeah. So you have like two different like avenues you can go down based on which kind of joiner you want to do. Or if you have a certain look you want to do, you kind of know what you're getting into as far as the joinery goes. Yeah. You bring up a good yeah. point. And when you're thinking about these types of furniture, um, a lot of this is already established. A lot of people have already figured these things out. You know, so if you are building something, uh, one of the the tricks I've done in the past that, that kind of helped me learn what the right thing to do is when I'm building, uh, designing my own furniture is to look at someone else's plan. You know, if you can find a free plan out there that that is similar to what you want, even though yours is going to look totally different, see what they did. A lot of this stuff has already been figured out and there's no reason why you can't go, oh, you know, they used a little weird cross half lap there. Or they they did a, you know, a reinforced miter there. Um, you can do something like that, get inspiration and ideas from stuff that's already established and, and sort of apply that to what you're doing. A lot of times this, no one's really reinventing the the wheel here. A lot of times we're just yeah. doing variations within a paradigm that's already been established. So looking at other plans, even if you're building your own uh, set of plans is probably not a bad idea. Well, and it's interesting because I think <clears throat> there's a variety of joinery books out there. I mean, Mark, you wrote one. So, I mean, th- I think 
in some ways, so it can't be that hard. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> in some ways it, it almost, it confuses the newer woodworker. Right. I mean, I'm thinking of, um, the top yeah, way one. to go, Mark. Um, <laughs> Hey, 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 he's actually supporting the reason my book exists. Continue Shannon. <laughs> go on. Uh, what's the Rogowski, right? Wrote the top. Yeah, Gary one. Rogowski. I mean, I remember, I remember buying that one and it was like, wow, look at all these joints. And you start thinking, wow, when am I supposed to use each one of these? There's so many different ones. And then you kind of get into building furniture and you realize, well, crap, I'm just using a mortise and tenon and a dovetail. That's kind of it. <laughs> like it's just yeah, those two joints pretty much over. And you know, occasionally you throw in a groove, you know, or in a dado, but it's really, that's it. And yep. There's enough variation within those two joints that they keep fresh. Right. You know? And, and oh, I think tons. that's it is it's not so much that there's a whole bunch of different joints. There's just kind of variation on a theme, you know? Through yep. tenon, wedge through tenon, tusk tenon, you know, haunch tenon. It's, it's really, it's a mortise and haunch. tenon. Oh. So, you know, when would you use it? Well, you know, with the exception maybe of the haunch, you know, there's there's some compelling reasons to use it here and there, but it gets really confusing as you're looking at this book and that Rogowski one really comes to mind because it's like a tome. It's like an encyclopedia. Yeah, it's an encyclopedia. Big, hardback, heavy book that's filled with all these different things. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, when am I ever going to learn how to cut all these different joints? And then fast forward a couple of years and you, you still haven't cut like three quarters of the joints in that book. <laughs> yep, exactly. needed. But then, then you get the woodworkers like, well, somebody put it in a book. It must be important. I must use it. So what I hear a lot of new woodworkers, they're like searching to use a new joint and it's, it's veiled under the disguise of, well, I've never cut that before. So let's make this a learning experience. And that's nice. But what I also see is a lot of joints being used in kind of maybe specious ways. And it's like, I don't know how strong that's going to be. And the one that really comes to mind is like the sliding dovetail. Like let's use the sliding dovetail here instead of a mortise and tenon. And it's like the sliding dovetail is not actually all that strong because it's got that skinny little area at the base of the, at the neck of the dovetail. And it has very, you know, it's very short in, in it, yeah. the, the mortise, the, the penetration of the tail into the mortise is quite short. So it's like, yeah, I don't know if that's really a good idea. And it goes back to this idea of there's, there's no long ring glue service in that one. No, no. But because you feel like there's this book that has all these joints in it, I've got to use all these books. I'm not a woodworker unless I'm using all these joints. <laughs> <laughs> well, like this is going to be very self-serving of me, but I'm going to read you the first two sentences, two or three sentences, oh oh, <laughs> the description. No, because it's perfect. Sorry, Matt. I didn't mean to open this Shut up. can of worms. Shut up, you guys. <laughs> Listen, I knew it was going to go here, but yeah. The, the, this, is, this is what I said. I said, essential joinery is my take on the five most important joints you need to know and find woodworking. These five joints are actually five categories of joints, and the book goes into detail on the common variants within. Instead of a brief look at every joint known to man, I decided to apply a laser focus to the most common and most useful joints in woodworking. That's exactly the reason why I wrote that book. Here's a question for you. Okay. Do you literally have the book in front of you and you're reading from it, or do you just recite it from memory? <laughs> no. <laughs> I committed it to memory years ago, and I use it uh, as much as as much as possible. He, he's got it. He's got it cross stitched on a little thing on the wall with a nice little oh frame God. around yeah. it. It's a little right. cross stitched. That, that is something you need now. Somebody do that. Nicole made one for me. No, no, no. You, you guys know there's these things called websites, and I'm at a computer, so it's pretty easy to get this stuff when I need it. So what you're saying first is line of your book. we don't have to buy your <coughs> no, book? No, it's not the first line in the book. It's the first line in the about section on my webpage. Like that's oh. selling selling the book to people. I'm sorry. I, for some reason, I thought you said it was like the first like the introduction in the book. Yeah, first couple of sentences on the sales page is what Oh, never is. mind. I'm not impressed anymore. 
<laughs> Damn. Well, now I got to get rid of my cross stitch thing that's on the wall here. Oh, I'm just, I'm just Darn it. picturing, picturing, you know, like those bumper stickers that have like the stick family on the back. I'm picturing a yeah. cross stitch sampler with like a stick family, you know, Mark and Nicole and the kids yeah. and the dogs and, and, and that that's, line with some sort of ornate border around it <laughs> in quotes. Yeah, that's perfect. Oh, good stuff. Well, you know what you, you're mentioning the sliding dovetail. Uh, I did one of those and I will say that my sliding dovetail is pretty strong because scale matters scale. Yeah. <laughs> scale matters. If the, and yeah, that's true, this, I wanted to come up with a solution for my mom's bed. That was like, I mean, I'm going to use hardware in the back, but if you're using a hardware solution in the front, you've got to make sure it's hidden. So it's not coming out of the front legs in the headboard or the footboard. Um, it's a little bit trickier. So I didn't want to deal with like a captured nut inside the rail, which I've done before. And it is very tricky to actually get that uh, the nut in there and get the bolt engaged. It's a whole thing. So I was like, well, what about what about the rail having like a nice drop in sliding sliding dovetail? Uh, not something that is going to be glued in place. But if it's uh, if it's big enough, it'll be strong. If it's, uh, you know, a, a snug enough fit, it won't be loose. Maybe I'm a little bit concerned that over time it could get loose. Um, so I'm making them a little bit snugger than I normally would. Uh, good luck getting it apart if uh, if the humidity is high. Um, but I don't, you know, my mom's not going to move it all the time. This is, this yeah, quote unquote, yeah. theoretically, it is not. How big down. is your hammer? <laughs> right. I like that. Theoretical knockdown joinery. That's a whole yeah. new category. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's actually going to, but it did at one point. Everything's knocked down with a big enough hammer, you know? That's, so, that's my theory. So the thing is, when I made this, you know, especially using machines for this, we're limited by the the dovetail uh, bit, right? So I actually was able to find one <clears throat> that I believe is, I can't remember the exact dimension. It's maybe, it's close to an inch uh, in depth. So you've got an inch long dovetail, about, I think, seven eighths on the diameter at the, the far end of it. So it's pretty substantial for something made uh, at a router table when you so it should be pretty strong on the usgs goes crazy because their richter scale starts going off and they're like what's going on <laughs> yeah. they're pumping, uh, they're pumping stuff over again. rocky flats again no <laughs> right oh geez okay so uh we got one more question here actually a couple more later too uh but this one's from kyle paulson he says do you have any recommendations for jigs that would help hobbyists with projects and you know what there is someone i know that has recommendations for jigs that can help hobbyists with projects. Do you guys know who that might be? Uh, it's not Matt. Definitely def- not. No, I can't help anybody. For anything. He's looking for uh, micro screws. He can't find them. <laughs> <laughs> it's Rockler. Rockler oh. has jigs and stuff. They got all kinds of things to help uh, woodworkers make their joinery successful. How about box joints? We alluded to those in our discussion about boxes. Make strong, tight-fitting box joints on your router table with Rockler's router table box joint jig. The jig uses precision machine solid brass indexing keys to ensure uniform finger spacing and an airtight fit. They also sell an XL version for larger projects. That's pretty sweet because I've got a little box joint jig and it gets a little bit tricky if you've got, you know, an actual case side or something. It's good for drawers, uh, smaller pieces, but you get have larger scale stuff. That's that's pretty tricky. So. I want to check out this XL version. We didn't even talk about box joints. Well, I thought you did when we were talking about boxes. We were just talking no, about joints no, for boxes. With, with micro pocket screws. That's where that one went. We should talk more about box joints. <laughs> hey, when we're done with this, let's talk about box joints versus <laughs> dovetails for, for like box construction, <laughs> case construction. Uh, what about the uh, dado joints? Cut perfectly fitted dados for a wide range of plywood thicknesses. No undersized bits required with Rockler's perfect fit dado jig. 
And how about the miter fold blade? Folds a single oh, sheet of plywood into a nest. So good. I know, into a neat seamless box with just four cuts, non-stick coating to protect against pitch buildup and corrosion. And best of all, invented some eggs on there. No. <laughs> invented by by a friend of ours, Andy. Andy Klein came up with this miter fold blade thing and took the world by storm. And then uh and now it's a Rockler thing. So that's that's pretty awesome. Have you guys used the miter fold blade? I have. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I mean, do you own one or you just had it demoed? No, because I have a saw stop. So I have oh. a friend's house to use it in his uh, Powermatic PM 1200 or something, sure. something. I don't know what the can, numbers are. Can you use it in a saw stop with the safety disengaged? Uh, no, because you have the brake cartridge installed and the brake cartridge won't fit with that blade stack in there. Oh, uh, no think, kidding. Something okay. like that. Something along those lines. Interesting. I don't know. I haven't tried it. Well, if you guys... I think, one of the things I was going to do was make a custom brake cartridge and see if Sawstop uh, hated me for that. So we'll <laughs> I'm not sure they'd love that. Uh, so but the you, blade works uh, really well. It's super nice. We use it with all the slab skin stuff. It, can you can you describe it for people? Because I know that th- that little description doesn't explain how cool this is. Oh, sure. It's like a one cut miter uh, dado thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that oh. and the, the cut goes almost all the way through the material, allowing you to have a little tiny hinge. And you can just fold that whole thing over onto itself to create a side so you can create a right angle out in anything. So it's basically cutting cuts. like a V-groove in the plywood, right? Yeah, like a fancy V-groove. Yeah, leaving it yeah, attached yeah, yeah. to the back. Yep. This is And you fold it over and you get the nice waterfall effect. The grain goes psh, right over the side seamlessly because even, even better than a waterfall joint because you literally have removed no material. Yeah, it's a, a lot of geometry to make that thing work. How, Someone else figured it out. So there you go. Yeah. So I, the one thing I was curious about with this is material thickness. So if you have a little bit of inconsistent thickness in the plywood, how forgiving is it when you go to fold those joints over? Uh, I mean, do do you ever cu- accidentally cut through? Very, um, what kind of crappy plywood are you using? I don't know. Chinese uh, Home Depot plywood. <laughs> yeah, but, but don't you set? I mean, you set the height of the blade in order to to set the you know, the projection onto the plywood. So as long as you're using the same sheet of plywood, right, yeah. it should be fine. But once you Correct. switch yeah. from plywood to plywood, I mean, then I, it might get a little I mean, I suppose gotcha. really also, crappy plywood might vary, you know, from the same bunk of plywood, you might have a varied thickness, but just don't buy that plywood in the first place. That's like $20 a sheet plywood. Don't, don't do buy, that. Buy the good folks. stuff. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to buy hardwood plywood, you're going to spend 60 bucks a sheet. Probably at minimum, I would think. Yeah. But it, if, if, if I understand it correctly, Matt, it's like you're setting the height of your blade, like just like you would set a dado stack. Yeah. And that's what determines the, you know, the depth of the cut. So yeah, you set it to go almost all the way through. Right. So if you're buying a sheet of plywood hair. that has inconsistent thickness from one end of the sheet to the other, shame on you. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your fault. Mark was talking about. I'm like, why is your plywood different? Thickness? You can't point wow. fingers uh, at anybody else, but you, my friend, because I like a challenge, I guess. <laughs> Woodworking is, is none of my stuff goes together nicely when I buy that cheap plywood. Cause yeah. like a one side, it's it was like 23 or 30 seconds or whatever the heck it is. And the other yeah. side is like 22 or something. I don't know. I just like material that keeps you guessing, <laughs> keeps you on your toes. That's what I like. All right. Well, we'll have links to all of these products in the show notes and you want to head over to rockler.com to check them out. Thank you for sponsoring the show, Rockler. Thanks. Okay. We've got a couple more questions here. Um, One from Joe Clemmer. He says, a question for each of you. What is your favorite joint to use and why? 
uh, follow-up, is there a joint that you try to avoid beyond the butt joint for obvious reasons? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm trying to think about this. A favorite joint. You know, I think for me, a through mortise and tenon is one of my favorites. It's uh, a fairly... Once you once you understand how it all works and you've got your your you know system down for making it, it's not that difficult. But it is initially you know got a pretty steep learning curve to make sure that the uh, exit side of that mortise is intact, that your tenon engages with it in the right way. So as the tenon comes through, you get a nice even look around the outside. There's no gouges, no missing material. Um, so I do find it challenging, but very very satisfying to execute a good through mortise and tendon joint. And I, I'm not going to say it's my favorite because that might change over time. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do enjoy a good through mortise and tendon. Uh, Matt, what about you? Um, probably dovetails because I actually enjoy like cutting them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I just like them. They look nice. They're fun. I don't know. There, yeah, there is still something very satisfying about hammering together a dovetail joint, right? Like no matter how many you've like cut. That's like the best part. I think it's the most satisfying because it's like so much work to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> even, even if it actually doesn't like, you, you know, it's not perfect. You know, it's not the, the, the perfect Klaus Cosman joint. And even if it has some little <laughs> gaps. It's still satisfying to put that thing together, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Heck yeah. yeah. What about you, Shannon? Uh, I got to go with the bridal joint. It's the same thing as the through mortise and tendon that you were talking about, Mark, but it's easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, right. <laughs> I don't have to bore crap. I can saw the whole thing. You know, I'm, maybe I'll bore out the root of the, the female side of the miter of the bridle. But yeah, I, I like the look of them and I use them like corner joints on, on uh, like cabinet doors and things. I think it's kind of a cool look. Mm-hmm. Um, tops Very of cool. uh, uh, tables and things instead of a, an actual integral mortise and tenon do just like a really, really wide bridle joint. It gives you kind yeah. of a cool exposed joinery look. I like it. Hmm. Cool. What about uh, stuff that intimidates you? I mean, I could say without a doubt, there's plenty of Japanese Chinese joinery, but the ones, <laughs> the ones that you typically see in stolen Facebook videos <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that your, your uncle or aunt sends you because they know you're a woodworker. Um, though there's a lot of wacky joinery out there that is really, it's almost like an academic study in joints. It's not, really something you would ever, I mean, some of it could certainly be used, but a lot of it is just to show off. Holy crap. Look at what this person was able to do. Uh, there's a lot of those joints that I've never attempted may never attempt. Uh, but I, I do think they're very cool. You guys have anything that you've avoided? Yeah. The variations on like the dovetails. Dougie is Dougie is snoring so loud. Hold on. (laughs) Dougie. That what that is? Wake up. (laughs) My gosh. He doesn't, he's actually for a bulldog. He does not snore that much but holy crap he was just in a position where it was really loud okay sorry shannon i didn't mean to uh interrupt. No, no, no no it's important to to make sure the dog is uh comfortable in, in our house that's the most important thing <laughs> yeah, that is yeah you know i i recently bought a blender to make smoothies for after my workouts and now the dog gets a smoothie because he just decided you know i want one of those so i make a smoothie and i go do my thing and then my wife comes along and makes a smoothie for the dog so yo i totally understand Oh, and he has bottled water too. Yeah, that's no, I get well, it. Well, I mean, he deserves the best. I get it. Yeah. He gets sick when he drinks tap water. It's only boss <laughs> water too. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, variations on, on dovetails, like those crazy joints that don't look like they should go together. Um, mm. they're, they're like little slotted dovetails and they're all on a variety of angles and things. 
Yeah, it's like a sunburst. Sun, yeah, sun, that's, sunrise that's the joint word I was or something for. like that. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one's just like, come on, <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Who are you trying to impress? Yeah, the geometry does not look like they should ever be able to go together, but somehow they do. Very cool. What about you, Matt? So something that's intimidating that I haven't had the opportunity even to even think about trying is like the big timber frame scarf joints. Ooh, yeah. You like join two beams end to end with these this giant angle with these steps in it and you're like yeah that looks like it needs to be pretty darn good because you know it's gonna support like a, a roof or something mm-hmm. that's cool i like those yeah and that's a whole i'm sure i'll get there someday but that's that's like right now i'm like that looks like that would probably take me a little while yeah <laughs> well and <laughs> spend because, some time on that. because the individual pieces are so big like you can't yeah. transpose one side over the other because you're lifting this you know 29 foot beam or whatever so it's all layout and it's all, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. cutting the lines, which is just, wow. <laughs> it's impressive. Mm-hmm. A lot of cool stuff out there. Well, definitely let us know if you guys have joints that intimidate you uh, or things that you're working on in the world of joinery. I think that's actually going to do it for us today. Remember that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler. Rockler is a family-owned business since 1954. They're your go-to source for high-quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK to receive free shipping on most orders over 39 bucks. Very nice. If you have questions... <laughs> you have questions about joinery now's the time to send men we're talking mortise and tenons next week and we're talking dovetails the week after that so send in your mm-hmm. mortise and tenon and dovetail related questions if you send in a question about dados we will not read it because you no did dados. not pay attention you didn't follow instructions and matt's gonna send you a nasty gram so don't do that yep no dado for you so if you also like to have questions about how mark rehearses his rockler ad reading voice please send those in because that's always entertaining to me <laughs> me 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 <laughs> mostly just go to woodtalkshow.com you can find a place to submit questions you can catch up on all the shows you can find us on instagram at woodtalkshow or if you have a voicemail you want to send in pull out your voice memo app record that sucker and send it to woodtalkshow at gmail.com and of course you can find us on instagram we're there we're doing our thing we're matt cremona wood whisperer and renaissance woodworker and this week folks i want you to send us a picture of a joint that you used that was different from what the man said you should be using. You know, you built a dining table and the establishment says it's got to be a mortise and tenon, but you did something different. Send us a picture. And use the hashtag WoodTalk473. Yeah, I'm curious to see what would different would be. Fight the power. Yeah. I like that. Good stuff. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time. Bye-bye. Don't forget to buy Mark's book. Go buy it! Go buy it! Hold on. Can I read an excerpt again? <laughs> A reading by Mark. Uh, Mark's we should book. just have it just have it fade out as Mark reads. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Alright, I like that idea. Okay. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.